Today, uh, we are beginning a, a new series, and the series is God is Stranger. And we just teased you a little bit with it last week and showed you uh, this a little video that was made for us by the author, Chris Kandaya. Hi everybody, it's Chris Kandaya here, and I'm so excited that you're looking at my book, God is Stranger, over the next few weeks at Friends Church. I wrote that book to inspire people to go deeper in their relationship with God by looking at the most difficult, strange parts of the Bible. I also pray that as you read it, you'll uncover something powerful about hospitality and how it can radically change your lives and the lives of the most vulnerable. I hope you enjoy the book. Please drop me a line. I'm on Twitter, at Chris K. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, if it's okay with you, and even if it's not, <laughs> we're going to start a little different today. Uh, Eric and I are going to have an unrehearsed, uh, although we've talked a little bit, dialogue, first of all, on why we chose this topic. And I think uh, it's, it's just something that's been, as, as we've been talking about this over the last three or four months, something that's just been burning in our hearts as we got into this book. It actually started, I had been hearing about and kind of catching a few things about this Krish guy. And so I was checking him out and checking some of his books out. And um, Chris Kandaya, as you can tell, he is from great um, United Kingdom. And he ha obviously has that uh, great accent. But uh, I found out more about him. Uh, Chris actually is um, his founding director of Home for Good. Home for Good is an um, agency that in the United Kingdom takes uh, young, um, um, what's the word? I, I should have rehearsed this. <laughs> uh, foster children. Foster yes. children and young refugees that have been brought into the UK. He works with the government and he places them in homes all throughout the UK. His, his mission and his goal, is, 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 his heart is that no young person should not have a home. No child should not have a loving, caring home. And so he wrote a book and it's been big in that field, Home for Good, Making a Difference for Vulnerable Children. And so that, that's kind of his ministry, but he's a theology professor. He's been a pastor. And he also wrote a book that kind of got some notoriety a little while back called Paradoxology. Paradoxology is a great book talking about how um, all the paradoxes in the scriptures and how sometimes we just gloss them over because we want the Bible to be simple. We want Christianity to be simple. And so we just kind of cut out or ignore the difficult parts. And so he goes through in paradoxology and he looks at some of the difficult parts. And as he got through there, he also found this um, other, uh, I guess, theme running through that, that sometimes we just have a hard time getting our minds around God and what he does. And so, uh, and as I was doing this, I found out that he was, uh, knew that he was a professor at Regent University, and he's been a professor at Oxford University, but he also was a faculty member and faculty advisor at Portland Seminary. Now, if you're wondering what Portland Seminary is, Portland Seminary is the seminary arm of George Fox University in Portland, Oregon, or Eugene, Oregon, right outside of Portland. So, port, so he, he taught... Um, theology at a friend's school. It is one of our colleges and at our seminary of our, of our kinfolk up in, uh, up in the Northwest. So he is very familiar with friends. He's taught at a friend's university. And, uh, and so that kind of also interested me as I got into it. But 
in the book, he starts talking about why he wrote the book. And it's kind of started, kind of a lot like me. He came to Christ at an early age. Um, and he was in, in Salvation Army in church and was there. And like a lot of us, he was told all these wonderful Bible stories. And it basically went like this. Jesus is going to be your friend. Jesus loves you. Do everything right, and everything's going to go great in your life. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Just follow Jesus. And you have a great relationship with Jesus. He's a great friend. And, and he said what he found out was that through seven, seven years old, through high school, through, through college, and even starting out, and when he'd go to different things, he'd always highlight those wonderful passages in scriptures. And he would highlight, and he would highlight, and he would highlight. And he said... He came to a point in his life where he says this, I realized that um, if I, I, I was only reading, studying, preaching, and meditating on the passages I had highlighted. And he said, nobody ever called me out on it because that was the only thing they were doing also. <laughs> and in his book then, he makes this statement. He says, in my experience, the nice and easy Sunday school idea of relationship with God does not work in the real world. Now, he didn't say the Bible. He doesn't say truth. He says, my Sunday school idea, all those things that I had highlighted, didn't necessarily work in the real world. He goes on to say this. It accounts neither for the complexity of the world nor critically the complexity of God. He says, these things are, our lives are a lot more complicated. And keeping a fresh relationship with God, keeping um, our relationship with God new and, and pure and, and holy is maybe more difficult than it seems. And so I picked up this book and I was on the beach in Cancun, Mexico reading it in early December and Sheila was on the other side trying to read her book. And you know what it is when every five minutes someone goes, hey, listen to this. <laughs> and then about five minutes, hey, listen to this. And Hey, listen to this. And so she finally just told me to shut up. <laughs> and so I, I went to Pastor Eric and I said, hey, read this book. <laughs> and you read the book. And I did. Go ahead. Well, first I just noticed that sitting doesn't really suit us at all. We're in our yeah. energy. We're like hyper, <laughs> hyperactive up here. Um, so your recommendation to read the book came at the right time for me. I don't know if you guys, some of you might remember this. Some of you don't. Um, if you don't, maybe I should not mention it again, but <laughs> about nine months ago, I confessed to all of you up here on the stage that I was going through a faith crisis. I was going through a faith struggle. And uh, you don't know how much your kind response um, to me meant in that moment, being able to articulate that, because I thought, uh, I had all kinds of fears and um, felt trapped in many ways of going through this sort of wrestling in my own faith while being a pastor. Like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna, and yet, one of the things I had to remind myself, and, and maybe this is a good reminder for all of you, I mean, we're just followers of Jesus like you are before we are pastors. And so this is what I was going through in my, in my journey. And so, uh, and you're going to hear a lot in this uh, series about hospitality and how it's, it's just a, a major theme. And for me, it was in that moment, it was being hospitable to the crisis 
allowing myself, and then you took part in that, allowing me to wrestle. And there were some days where I was really afraid of what might, might happen. I, I ended up talking to friends who left the faith, became atheists. I talked to other friends who were wrestling with the same thing. I really dove into this. I really allowed myself to wrestle. And all the time, I thought, well, this is just doubts. These are you know, attacks from the evil one trying to steer me away from the faith. What I didn't anticipate is what I found out later, that actually this was God doing something. And it was like, and you heard the Sunday school reference, it was really like I, I was a young person who was growing out of my, my old clothes. And I have an image of my mind because I used to wear these high waters because I grew so fast and <laughs> I needed new clothes. And, and so God was allowing me to have new clothes in my faith and in my spirit. And so this book really uh, uh, helped me in, in welcoming and being hospitable to this new thing that, that God um, at, has been doing and is continuing to do. And so um, I'm excited to, to lead out of that and just be open with, with my particular story of what's happening now, because God is so real and so tangible. And um, when I was making that declaration in the song that we were singing, I will build my life upon your love. I mean, my, my, I'm just crying over here because of, of what that declaration means for, for me in this moment, in my life, in this moment. So... Um, I'm excited that we can help yeah. um, lead all of you through this as well. Yeah. As, uh, as you're sharing there, and, and we talked a little bit about your, the faith issue, I, I was immediately thought of Matthew chapter 8. Because, you know, sometimes we think it's a matter of no faith or great faith. But, you know, you, you either have faith or you don't have faith. But in Matthew chapter 8, there are two stories uh, that, uh, of Jesus when he's ministering that are almost back to back. They're just a few verses apart. And the first one is a, a Roman centurion. His servant is, is ill, very sick. And, and the servant comes up to Jesus and says, hey, would you, would, my servant is sick. Would you, would you heal him? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come. And he says, hey, you don't need to come. Just say the word. And Jesus is, whoa. <laughs> and he says, never have I seen in all of Israel such great faith. And then just a, a few verses later, you see, uh, same, seeing Jesus this time is in a boat with his disciples, and a storm is raging. And they're freaking out. And, and, and they're saying, Lord, we're going to drown. And Jesus looks at them and says, oh, ye of little faith. So I don't think, you know, it's, it's not an issue of no faith or faith. It's, sometimes it's an issue of how great is our faith. And I hope through this series, your faith grows. And, and what Kandaya found is, is that it wasn't, the key here is, is to get maybe out of the less than 10% of this Bible that he had highlighted. He said, it's not that they weren't true. It's not that all God's promises weren't true. He says, I just found the unmarked parts of my Bible so much more relevant. So much more relevant. And, and the parts I had avoided, all of a sudden, became fresh and new and led me into a deeper, a greater faith. And I think that's what we want. Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to be able to go deeper just because that's where God is, is really leading us. And you've heard me talk um, oftentimes about 
not to settle for the bumper sticker statements of, of faith. But I tell you, it, it, it's hard to go deeper sometimes. It's really hard to expand um, the houses of our, of our souls for God to really settle in and, and make home, take up residence within us. It's not easy. And sometimes out of that fear, we like to just you know, stick with the highlighted parts and just you know, keep, it, keep it predictable and, and small. And yet, what we'll find throughout all of these stories that we comb through in Scripture is that um, God enters into a situation and just, just expands the territory of faith where people can make more room as they get to know God in a deeper way. Yeah. So we really hope that you can also be hospitable to that wrestling, to that discomfort a little bit, because I really truly believe that God is in there and is gonna work within each of us yeah. to, really, to really expand our faith and knowledge of him. Yeah. And so what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be kind of following the book, but, and it's, they're just, you don't need the book. These are Bible stories. We're gonna be walking through the Bible, looking at these stories. If you wanna get the book, that's fine. It, it's a great read, and I'd encourage you to do that. But the thing is, these stories are all unique. So if, you, if, if you're on vacation in a week or two, and you say, uh-oh, I missed, don't worry, the next week is a completely different story. Well, they can check it online. Check so, it online, you know. yes, check it online. <laughs> but, but, but you don't, but you're not, you're, you're, I'm not, I was gonna say you're not missing anything. We are missing something, but you're, you're not gonna be lost the next week because it's a completely new story. But, the, but what blew me away when I got into this book, although they're totally different stories and they walk through the scriptures, there, is a th- there are two threads that run through all these stories. There's a thread of our of our being an alien, a foreigner, a refugee, of, of uh, being, uh, seeking asylum. It, it, because you start looking at these people in the Bible, most of them had been kicked out of their home, or for a lot of times, Israel, Israel was not living in their home. And so much of that, is, but then there's another thread of hospitality, both given and received. And when you look at these, tying all these stories together, it just, it just, it was so impactful in my life, and that's what, that's what I'm hoping for you. Um, so, you know, if you miss, watch it, but come back. We're just going to pick up the next story. I love walking through the Bible like this way. The hardest part we're going to have, and you can understand, is telling these stories in 30 minutes. <laughs> so, so, next week, um, uh, we're going to be, in, if people want to read ahead and read a story, Genesis chapter 18, 18. Mm-hmm. especially verses 1 through 15. Right, 1 but through 15. Genesis 18 next week, if you want to read ahead a little bit on Abraham. Uh, but uh, today, we're going to start off with uh, uh, the story of where it all began. Before we do that, we're just going to show you real quick the trailer that um, Kendaya did bef- when the book was released. And so, here it is. Hi, I'm Krish Kandaya, and yes, that is Krish, as in Krishna, but no, I'm not related to Harry Krishna. And while we're putting things straight, no, my dad has never run a corner shop, and no, I don't eat curry for breakfast, and no, I don't use cumin and chili powder instead of using deodorant. It drives me mad when people assume things about me. I resent that surprised expression on people's faces when I walk into a room looking foreign and then speak in English. And equally, it annoys me that people think just because I'm over 40, I'm going to prefer golf to 10-pin bowling or red wine to Coca-Cola. Just because I'm from Brighton doesn't mean I can't support Liverpool Football Club. Just because I'm a Christian does not mean I brainwash my children. 
Just because I teach theology doesn't mean I don't like a good party. Just because I've got six children doesn't mean I haven't got space for one more. And just because I own a van does not mean I drive inconsiderately. The point is, just because you know something about me does not mean you know everything about me. Being judged, labelled, stereotyped has a paradoxical effect. Those that think they know me don't know me at all. I'm even more of a stranger to them than they realise. So what if we've treated God in the same way? What if it is precisely because we think we know God that we don't know him at all? What if we've assumed he's close by when really he's very far away? What if we've assumed he's very far away when actually he's very close? The Bible is full of people who made mistakes along the same lines. Many of them even failed to recognise God when he turned up. And yet whenever God did turn up, unannounced, uninvited, unrecognised, something truly revolutionary was about to kick off. What if God is deliberately strange? What if it is in trying to understand the uncontainable God that our minds are brought into life? What if our minds are like a teacup and the knowledge of God is like the unending, unfathomable volume of water roaring over Niagara Falls? What if it is in welcoming this unexpected God that our lives take on a whole new meaning? What if it is a good thing that God is stranger? So we begin this morning where it began. The first chapter of the book starts with the first man and woman of the book. And so if you have your Bibles, Genesis 1-2, and most of the time will be in chapter 3. Uh, because Genesis 1 and 2 are the fun parts. <laughs> Genesis 3 is where it gets tough, right? Adam and the stranger. Most of us know the story of Adam and Eve. Most of us know this, that they were the first created beings. In fact, we know the story of, of creation. And we know chapter 1 of Genesis, where God speaks and the world comes into existence. This powerful, almighty God, this intelligence, this creativity is on display. And the world comes into existence in Genesis chapter 1. And we're told after day 1, day 2, where we're after, after these creative events, God said it was what? Good said it was good. Until day six, when he created man in chapter one, and when he was done with that, he said, this is very good. Very good. Yeah. And so it's all good. It's all very good. And then we go to chapter two. And in chapter two, we, we see two parts of this chapter one focused on. We see generally focused on this, this creation of this great, great place to live, the Garden of Eden. And, he, and it's, the Bible explains this beautiful, luxurious, luscious, um, productive uh, place, garden, where everything we could need is, is there. And then it goes a little further into the explanation of not just the creation of Adam, but the creation of his wife, Eve. They talk about this home with God and this relationship they have with God. You know, it says God spoke to them. They had this closeness, the kind of closeness with God that we would love to have, right? This relationship that is so, so unique. This relationship that is so powerful. 24-7, all the time, God was there, and that's the way it was meant to be. And 
I don't think it says this in chapter 2, but I would say this. The Bible would agree it was very, very good. In fact, chapter 2 ends with this saying that uh, at the end of chapter 2, Adam and Eve were both naked, but they were not ashamed. And then we come to chapter 3. And uh, catastrophe strikes, right? Everything that God had created perfect comes crashing down, crumbles right in front of his very eyes. And then God shows up. And we see in the ninth verse of chapter three of Genesis, God asks this question to Adam. Where are you? (laughs) Where are you? I I can hear him say, what's going on? What's happened? Have you ever done anything in your life and you just hope nobody finds out? Adam and Eve had just done the one thing that God said, do not do. He said, you can't do or you will die, as a matter of fact. They took the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they ate of it. And God is now coming. Where are you? Adam's response was in verse 10. He says this, I was hiding as if from a stranger. God, who had been that loving companion, that one who they could see and experience walking through the garden, who they would hear his voice and could respond, had become a stranger. How did it happen? How do you go from strolling with God one day to communicating with God one day to being estranged from him the next Definition of estranged, I look up, it says no longer close or affectionate to someone. Alienated. It's interesting as I look through this because one thing that is throughout this book and Kendaya talks about in all of his his, um, promos is that God shows up unannounced, unexpected, um, and unrecognized. This was not the case here. This is the one case that's not true. God walked through here every day. Adam wasn't hiding because he thought God wasn't going to show up. (laughs) Adam was hiding because he knew God was going to show up. Adam was hiding, and here comes God expected. This is the time that God comes to walk through the garden. Recognized, I know God's voice anywhere, Adam would say. And announcing, Adam, I'm here. There was no question. He shows up, announced, recognized. But shockingly, for the first time, unwelcome. Unwelcome. The relationship, that beautiful relationship, or where God would commune, all of a sudden, God was not welcome. I don't want God to see me this way. Have you ever, ever heard somebody say, I don't want you to see me this way? <laughs> I don't want God to see me this way. It's always, it's always our sin that separates us from God. It's always our sin that makes us a stranger 
to God and makes God a stranger to us. It was for Adam and Eve, and it has been for everybody since then. What happens when we sin? Isaiah was talking, uh, the prophet was talking to his people, in, the Israelite people in the 59th chapter of Isaiah, and he says this, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. In this moment, in this moment of sin, everything changed. Everything that was part of their lives changed. It's, you know, every now and then you have someone, you know, something happens in your life, an accident, a, a phone call, a, 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 the diagnosis, everything changes. Well, here, everything changes. First of all, their relationship with God changed. Immediately, God has become a stranger. Their relationship with each other changes. If you read back a little bit after, after God says, where were you? And Adam comes up and, and says, well, uh, and how, I was naked. I, I had to hide from you. And he says, who told you that? And did you eat from the apple? Did you eat from the tree? And, 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 and Adam, what does he do at first? He blames the woman. <laughs> you know, the relationships with each other start to break down. The woman she, she doesn't want to take the blame. She blames the serpent, and the blame game starts. So our relationships with God breaks down. Our relationship with others breaks down. And even, even our self-image breaks down. At the end of chapter 2, it says they were naked and not ashamed. Now they are naked, and they are ashamed. They're disappointed in themselves. They're crushed. And so they go and get leaves to try to cover them up. Uh, there's always a cover-up, right? <laughs> In every good story, there's always a cover-up. Oh, maybe I can just hide. Maybe, maybe God won't notice <laughs> the cover-up. They hid, and the world changed. And God became a stranger. God became a stranger. Think about that. Think about it. So after God surveys the situation, he speaks to the serpent, and he, we'll get back to this in a little bit, but he curses the serpent. But then he turns and he addresses Eve, and in verse 16, he says this, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. It's interesting, the blessings of chapters 1 and 2, he had blessed and said, be fruitful and multiply. And he says, and go and unite with a husband, and you will be as one. Those blessings have now become curses, as, as he says, that you're going to have this pain in childbearing. And he says, this mutual, mutual, compatible relationship you have with your husband, it's going to change. And it's going to be a, he's going to, you're going to be seek after him. In fact, that word um, desire is, is a very strong desire, a violent craving for your husband. And, and he's, and there's going to be this relationship issues, these problems you have with your husband. Now, some people look at this, especially men, and says, your husband will rule over you. And they go, aha, <laughs> there's, a, there's scriptural proof, right? Scriptural proof, I rule over you. But this was not the way God had planned it. This is not the way God, this is the curse. This is the curse. The curse is your, your husband's going to rule over you. Before that, they were companions. So think, men, to think before you say that. 
and he will rule over you. So the relationship issues get deeper. Then he goes on, he speaks to Adam. He says this, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from all from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you were taken, since you were taken from it, for dust you are, and to dust you return. The ground was cursed, and kind of even in a little word play here, the word Adam, Adam, it means ground, and it really comes from the word um, Adamah, which means ground, the earth. And so out of the earth comes Adam. Out of Adamah comes Adam. You return to Adamah, to the ground. And all is lost. The significance is significant. Adam and Eve would suffer. They would toil. And then you die. Well, that's a lot to look forward. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting you pumped up, aren't I? <laughs> it's kind of like that saying, you know, they go, you, you die, they take you, they have a funeral, they bury, stick you in the ground, put dirt on your, over you, and then come back and eat potato salad, you know, at the church. You know, that's, that's kind of the way it is. You know, it, but here, here's the story. You're, you're going to die, and before that, you got a lot to look forward to. You got a lot of pain and suffering and relationship issues, and good luck. And if God had left it at that, we might be saying, wow, maybe I do have a faith crisis. But amazingly, in the midst of this, and amazingly, when God says, when you eat of this fruit, you will die. Amazingly, when God becomes a stranger, not because he chose, but because it was our actions, he still doesn't let go. He still doesn't just, he just doesn't walk out. I, if, if, if I was God at this time, I would say a couple things maybe. Adam, you're done. Boom, bum, let's start over, maybe. Or let's just, this man experiment, experiment didn't work out real well. <laughs> you know, I, I'm good with the animals, but this human thing, you know, let's just get rid of it. I don't know what I would have done if I was God, but I probably would not have said what God, or did what God did next. In verse 21, it says, the Lord made garments for skin for Adam, and he clothed them. Instead of killing them, which was the promise, you will die, he clothes them. He makes provision for them. And we see the first act of real hospitality in the Bible. We see God the one who has been wounded, the one who has been offended, reach out an act of hospitality and make some clothes for someone who is naked. This hospitality theme will go through all we talk about over these next few weeks and months. This hospitality theme of reaching out and caring for those who are hurting. It's an important theme through the Bible. This whole theme of caring for those who can't care for themselves, caring for those who are strangers, runs through every story or many, all the stories we'll be talking about. In fact, Jesus culminates this in, in Matthew chapter 25. He's just getting ready to enter into the last week where he's going to die. 
And he's talking about, okay, the judgment day and who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. And he says this. He says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. This idea of caring for the stranger and it's, and it's exhibited by God right away. He cares for them. But that's not the end of it. It goes on and says this. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And God makes the first refugees. Think about it. The very first refugees, the very first ones to flee their homeland, to be homeless is our forefathers, the very first of creation, Adam and Eve. It goes on, the next verse, and says this. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. And Edom, Eden was closed. We've been having our parties with the pastor finished up Friday with our third one. They've been great. But uh, we've, we've been playing some games back and forth to get to know each other. And, and you would have to move based on the questions. And one of the questions that was asked was, change size if you like roller coasters, if you love roller coasters. And so those of us who love roller coasters, I, I loved them more about 20 years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but love roller coasters got on. And we started talking about the, the roller coasters we like to ride. And we got to talking about Oh, Geauga Lake. And we started talking about how sad it was after that closed to walk by and, and see this beautiful, oh, great facility with the clothes sign on it. The weeds growing up. You can't enter. And I get that picture of, of Eden, the fence around it. Except God, God's got it, God has got this guarded a little better probably than that was because he says no one can get to that tree of life it's closed and we have to come to grips with here is God who created the first exile who rejects seemingly his creation sentences them to lies of hardship labor pain exile and the promise of death everything's changed and I guess the question is, God, couldn't you have done something? <laughs> couldn't you have stepped in? I mean, if you're really God, and he is, and you know what's going to happen, and he does, and you, and you saw what was going to happen, couldn't right before Eve took that bite, couldn't your hand just have come and gone? <laughs> couldn't that have happened? Or couldn't you have couldn't you saw a snake start to talk and just kind of come up and interrupted? Couldn't you have done that? God, couldn't there be some way that you could done, have done something? But God, in his, in, his, in his knowledge, God, in his love, has allowed us to make choice. And it was our choice, our choice, his action. And so we see the God who turns up only to drive us away. We see God throughout these series turn up, but he turns up in, in wonderful ways, and creative ways. But this morning, we need to start with the God who came, entered, and turned us away and became a stranger.
In his book, Kendiah says this, our relationship with God will always be a tension between knowing his presence and feeling his distance. I think that's what Pastor Eric was talking a little bit about here. The, the head knowledge, knowing his presence is one thing, but it's a difference to feel the distance of God. He also says we are drawn to God. In fact, we are both drawn to God and repelled by God. Because when we draw close to God, we back away. Because our sin, because of, of, our, of our shame, because we, we, we realize we, we, we come to him broken and, and we see this God. And so as we come close to him, we're, we're, we repel and we back off. Our relationship with God will always be a tension between his, pre, between his presence and feeling, knowing his presence and feeling his distance. One of the things, one of the themes throughout the Bible, theme throughout the Bible is that we are living in a land where we really just don't belong. We are foreigners. And we live here and we, we see God and we see him out there and we realize there's something wrong. Did you realize this world is messed up? This world is messed up. And so our relationship with God in this way gets messed up. He goes on, or the, but God, the next question might be, so God, what are you going to do about it? And this is where the hope comes in. And this is where we close as we look through, start looking at the stories. God did not leave this hopeless. God did not say, okay, die, here's some clothes, go. But we skipped over a verse. And it's Genesis 3.15. And when he curses the serpent, he says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and he will strike your heel. And we get a glimpse that God has a plan. We get a glimpse that God is not satisfied being a stranger. God is not satisfied with a relationship that is broken. And God will reach out and do something. He said, there's going to be one who's going to come. And he's going to strike your head, Satan. Oh, you're going to try to grab his heel. But there is going to be, there is going to be a reconciliation, a restoration. And God's plan is started. Now, I don't know. It's kind of hard to see this plan right now. We just get a little glimpse of it. Do you ever watch any of those home improvement shows? And they, and they walk in and they look at this house that's a disaster and they say, oh, wow. Look, this could be here and here and here and here. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> there's a wall there. There's a, you know, you can't do that. And, and, and the, but there's, there's this vision that a, that a person much more intelligent has of what could be. And God says, I do not want to be a stranger to you. And I don't want to be a stranger to me. Kendiah says this to close. In Eden, we suddenly begin to learn that God can turn death to life, bad news to good news, fear to opportunity, curses to blessings, despair to hope, temporary estrangement to eternal life. The stranger God is going to intervene. It just wasn't right then, right? 
He's going to intervene through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are going to see death turn to life. And the stranger God reaches out to us and says, come to me. Come to me. Don't be a stranger any longer. You ever said that to anybody? Don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. We acted. We're the ones that sinned. But God comes to us and says, I want to restore that relationship. And here in the very third chapter, do you realize, though, that's the third chapter of the book? There's 1,189 chapters still to go. It's going to take a while to work out God's plan. And so as he works out his plan, he's going to continue to show up in lives, in Abraham's life, when God turns up out of the blue. In Jacob's life, when God comes, God shows up and he picks a fight. In Gideon's life, when he shows up, but he shows up way too late. Boy, some of these sound like it resonate with you. Naomi and Ruth's life where it looks like he doesn't ever show up at all. And so many more experiences we see of God reaching out and saying, I'm not a stranger. I'm not a stranger. I love you. That's the message. And that's the message over these next weeks. Don't let God be a stranger. Don't, don't let yourself be repelled by him. But come to him. Seek him. Ask him for forgiveness. Say, I want a relationship with you. I know that sounds like the highlighted parts of the Bible. And we don't like to highlight the part where he said, if you get kicked out, set, a, set out. But God gives us hope. That's the story. The stranger brings hope because he's a good God. He's a good God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your mercies. Speak to us each day. Help us this week as we begin to think about this theme of, of you coming to our lives unrecognized, unannounced, uninvited, and yet turn it upside down. And Lord, help us to remember where this whole mess started because of a rebellious couple. Lord, help us not to emulate them. Lord, help us to follow you, to obey you, to demonstrate your love. Would you stand together? I encourage you, as you go, don't look God as a stranger. But look at him as one who desires a relationship with you. Come back next week and hear how God turns up sometimes just out of the blue and things really go wild. Let's pray. Again, God, go with us. Bless us. Use us. Enlighten us. Challenge us. Amen. You're dismissed.